Hi everyone and welcome to the STEM Equity Network podcast series. My name is Catherine Friend and I'm your host. At the podcast series, we do weekly interviews with STEM professionals and leaders, uh, mainly to discuss their personal experiences and also to determine just a series of practical measures that we as a group can take to address the inequality in STEM leadership. And today, we're really pleased. Our guest today is Rebecca Granger from TRIO. So Rebecca has 20 years international experience in recruitment and workforce management from both global businesses and SMEs. She's been a self-employed consultant for talent acquisition and a career coach for over six years, specifically working with women returning to work post-parental leave. So as a result, she has a deep understanding of the impact and importance of diversity and inclusion. She's a passionate advocate for gender parity and in particular human connection. She's committed to building a business that leverages technology and creates a humanistic framework for people engagement. She's a solo non-tech founder in the tech world and also a solo mother. And so as a new-ish member of the tech society, she believes that everything is possible with expensive visioning an agile attitude and the courage to take the risks and challenges if change is to be achieved, which is pretty much the kind of person we need at the moment. So thank you very much for joining us, Rebecca. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> Thanks. So... Let's start with your career. I mean, you're not, you didn't start being in tech. Can we kind of just talk about your initial workplace? Yeah. So uh, my background, like I said, is all recruitment. So in the UK, a large global agency, not tech-based at all. It was actually in finance. And yeah, for several years, I was involved in recruiting, putting women on short lists. And I was transferred after several years with that same company to come over to Australia. Okay, so fitting into that model, I mean, how was, was there anybody in particular who um, pushed your career forward in these jobs? Yeah, I had a couple of great managers, some female, some male who became real advocates. I think there were a few individuals that sort of saw that it was a waste to lose somebody just because they weren't sort of typically fitted into to what normally happens. I think the biggest people that have supported me in my career have been the ones that I'm in touch with now to date. It's great to find those advocates within the business, you know, and having those mentors really do push you forward. Yeah, I mean, so that was my question is, were they mentors or were they sponsors or were they... So talking with other people I found that there's three sorts of people there's either the mentors the people who are actually mentoring you through the sponsors who just have got your back basically and advocate for you or there's this tribe of trusted advisors your peers basically who support you no matter what so sounds to me like you had probably a mix of those I've had a mix of all yeah I've had a really experienced mentor and I'm in touch still with all of these people she was amazing you know, I was very inexperienced in compared to her and she was very experienced. So she was great as a mentor. I've had sponsors who were also part of my peer group, but really did allow me to speak up and do new things and try new things. Mm. And, you know, I think there's a huge, the ability to find a team or work within a team that do have your back from the UK, experiencing that in the UK And then comparing that to the environment that I came into in Australia, I can absolutely see the difference because in the UK, they were peers, they were sponsors, we worked together, we really worked synergistically as a team where we all wanted to win 
Mm. And it worked so well. We, you know, we all rose really fast and we hit all of our KPIs and exceeded them versus when I came over to Australia, the team dynamic was completely different. You know, and actually there I experienced bullion. I I was part of a team of three, me and two males. In the UK, there was three women and, and one male. But over here, yeah, completely different. I was ignored. I was discounted from team goals. The KPIs and the roles that came in, they would work them between them as opposed to a team. So the environment was really different. Um, Do you think they were threatened by you? Look, potentially, maybe. I don't know. Um, Obviously, we are in sales roles and everything is based on targets and KPIs and revenue. So that's potential. Or one in particular was just very sexist. (laughs) um i I really don't know was he very sexist i think think yes but i ended up leaving having had such an awesome working environment prior not having that environment it really you don't thrive you don't do your best work you're not firing on all cylinders you know you're never going to rise and grow in that environment so i left Mm. So it sounds to me like this inclusive working environment just not only made you rise, but everybody else. It involved everybody and everybody rose to the occasion where this, in stark contrast, this environment where you were bullied and, well, I feel like these men were probably threatened or I don't know what their issue was, but were they doing well at the same time? They were doing okay. And instead of working as a team where we all can increase and grow together, they wanted to take it for themselves at the expense of me, at the expense of working as a team. You know, um, they can split between two as opposed to split between three. But I just feel like the energy around that is not one that's going to grow. No, not at all. But, and so what were some of the sexist things that they were doing? Apart from being ignored derogatory comments about my education just derogatory comments about uh what i looked like the fact that i have freckles oh um my God. Oh, it's i mean like really playground stuff playground mean bullying irrelevant comments based on where we are as a 30 something in the workplace it's mm-hmm. just completely irrelevant Hang on, aren't freckles cute nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not according to this guy. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, suffice to say, we left, I left there. Yes. <laughs> I've been very lucky that whenever I've considered it's time for a move, opportunities have come up. So somebody, a colleague, one of my peer group in the UK, actually referred me and recommended me to a company over here. And so the move was really quick and painless, uh, which I do appreciate isn't always the case for a lot of other people that go through workplace issues. But I moved over and I had a wonderful time with the new organisation and I loved them like a family. They put me through permanent residency and it was amazing working there up until the point I got pregnant. Oh, really? And it all fell apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, what happened well I think in hindsight it was run by two men one had a wife who had a career and no children and the other had a wife who stayed at home and they had children or a child and I just don't think they could figure out or understand how I was going to integrate back into the workplace 
and deliver and build what I was on what would then need to be more of a flexible working environment. So they're unconscious or maybe like conscious bias against you not being able to be a mother and have a career at the same time really worked against them. It's in a sense because they lost a great employee. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's preconceptions, never done it before. Don't know how it can work. It doesn't work in either of my family units. So how is this going to work in my business? Mm. And for me, from a personal basis, I'd already experienced a miscarriage which they weren't aware of, but I didn't want the stress. It would become a really conflicted environment to working. So at four and a half months pregnant, I resigned, which was really sad because I really loved them and I had no intention ever of leaving that business, but I needed to look after myself. And then obviously I couldn't get a job because I was pregnant. And that sort of pushed me into the coaching environment because all I knew how to do was to get people jobs. So I started career coaching. Can I just go back to that though? If in hindsight, this could have happened again, what did they need to do to keep you there? They just needed to make me feel that I was valued, that they were going to support me during the pregnancy and that they would make something work on the return. My intention was I wanted to return four days. I was actually had already gone down to a four day a week role before getting pregnant because I was uh, due to be starting IVF. They didn't know that. They just had kept my KPIs the same and I wanted to work more flexibly and I was meeting my KPIs. But I think they just thought they just made the assumptions for me yeah, without engaging me. And then made requests on me after announcing that I was expecting a baby that was not across the board for every employee. It was just based on me since I'd become pregnant. I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to maximise the revenue before I left. But it just put so much pressure and stress and change on me that I knew coming back, I wouldn't be able to have the flexibility that I thought I needed. I think communication and empathy and support is the key. Yeah, and asking you what you need, right? And then helping you out during that time because I think employers really underestimate the loyalty of women. Yeah, they do. Because anybody who takes care of a woman during their most vulnerable moments, you know, if, if the woman's taken care of, they're more likely to stick around for a lot longer than she probably should do. It certainly happened to me. You yeah. know, I was taken care of. I was supported during my most vulnerable times of having children. So I stuck around in a job a lot longer than I probably needed to, but most yeah. of it was out of loyalty. Simple. Yeah. And so, you know, as an employer, I think it's doing yourselves a disservice kind of not investing that energy and time and time really into courting women during their vulnerability stages. Yeah. Having moved into the career coaching piece, I know that women do not want to look for a new job when they're a new parent. Mm -hmm. That is the last thing on a woman's mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't want, we don't definitely don't want to move into this space. You're really only going into that space because it's forced or you feel you have to, or you have no other choice or that space is going to be better for you than staying where you are. You know, and the other thing, there was no other financial benefit to stay with them. So I wasn't any sort of financial gain from just seeing out my parental leave and then returning. There were no financial incentives. 
which I do know some organisations do have. And what happens is women will just put up with whatever's going on, which is often negative experiences, just to return to take the next couple of pay packets. And then they start looking for a new job, Mm. which is why we have the dropout of 30% of women who fall out of the workforce by choice within the first 12 months after returning from parental leave. Mm -hmm. And it's things like this that happen. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So what happened with you then? So you left and set up your own business? Yep, started coaching, career coaching, and happened to just have women come to me. uh, And they were either on maternity, had been made redundant on maternity, or had returned and were looking for a new job. And it was all because of a negative experience, disengagement, disconnection, not feeling valued, not feeling like they belonged there anymore. Is that mostly Um, after they got pregnant? Basically, it's like discrimination after you get pregnant, but employers aren't allowed to actively get rid of people, so they just make it impossible for you to work there. I would like to think that none of this is intended discrimination. I think what happens is... People assume you are not interested or you're going to be going off and having a baby and you're going to be off for six or 12 months. So you just get sidelined. You just kind of put on the other side and like, well, you just finish those things up and new projects come up and you're not sort of included in those. Typically, you're just sort of there seeing out your time until you're going to have this period of time off. And then when you're out of the business, most people assume that, well, you've got a baby and we don't really know if you want to hear from us and we're just going to leave you there and just call us in a year's time. But what I found from the women I spoke to is that actually, particularly if you've been a professional, you've had a career or you're ambitious, your career's defined you. You know, you've been independent, you've had an education, you've progressed up the ranks And let's face it, whatever our career path is, we're always on an upward trajectory when we have a baby, however steep that trajectory is. So we're always on the up. And then I call it, when I was coaching women, I call it falling off a cliff. You sort of have this baby, you've had this career that's defined you, and you're completely in control. And then you have this baby and you literally fall off a cliff. You don't have your career, you don't have your peer group around you, you don't even have that fixed financial income and security, but you have this newborn baby that you have no way of really controlling because they're little humans and they do what they like and we just don't know what we're doing. Um, And we lose our identity. And so we really, you know, a lot of women struggle. We know that with the rates of postnatal depression and things like that, it's normal to struggle. And then you sort of find your fitting and then you need to come back into the workplace. And whether you've been out for three, six or 12 months or longer, typically no one's spoken to you. You've kind of been forgotten. And again, I don't think it's intended to ignore you. It's just you're out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. But as a woman, you feel like I'm not valued. You lose your confidence. You're struggling with your identity. And even when you go back into work, you weren't the person you were. You're now that person changed slightly and a mother. Mm. So you then have to reintegrate as this new person. So it's super challenging. Yes, it is. You know, going there. So you started this business basically supporting mothers and supporting women going back into the workforce. Okay, to stop them dropping off the cliff to start off with, what were some of the things good employers have done or can implement 
to make yeah. sure they don't fall off the cliff. And then on the other side of things, you know, if they're wanting to move in a different career, what else do we need to do in order to support new mothers with young families? I mean, you know, their capacity to stay late for drinks, to, you know, socialise, yeah. to work really hard is obviously impaired just by the mere fact that you've got a young person to take care of. Yeah. How can we support new mothers? Yeah, look, I mean, luckily, in a weird way, COVID's happened. So it's forced employers who were some employees were, you know, really anti flexibility and working from home to do that. So I think moving forward, we won't ever have that same for the majority of roles that this can't be done because it's been proven that it can be done. So that barrier that has existed for so many eons, it just isn't there. But in terms of what employers need to do you know attrition can cost up to 250 percent so it's a huge cost to an employer to lose a member of staff and when we look particularly in the industries or stem and particularly the industries where there are low numbers of women anyway they really need to look after and retain the women that are going through this life event mm -hmm. and for the moment women are the only are the ones that are going to have babies so <laughs> we, we, need, we need to find a way of supporting them through this journey where trio has come in it's you know i basically sort of thought well how can we support organizations to realize the importance and value of supporting women in particular through this period but now we have a completely gender neutral platform so we're supporting all parents mm. and the reason that's become so important is the more we normalize parenting in the workplace the more men are openly able to take leave and take on a caring role, which therefore opens up the opportunity for women to return to work. But what both parents need at this phase is support, is information, is care, is communication, is connection. So just because they're out of the office doesn't mean that they do not want to hear from you. Yes, there might be some employees that don't want to hear from you, sorry, that's fine, but those that do want to stay in contact that needs to be available. And what our platform does is, is make that possible. And then, you know, we need to support the integration back into the workplace. We also need to support the manager on how to manage through this journey. Mm. Because I, like I say, I don't think the majority of cases are intended to be negative or intended to be discriminatory. I just think people don't look beyond their own experience or what are the commercial drivers within that organization. Yeah. It's almost a bit of a pain when people are going off for a period of leave because they're going to have a baby. And then it's expected that there is going to be some form of flexibility that's needed coming back into the workplace, which is where I think COVID has really helped in particular the families or the employees for whatever reason that they need flexibility and better work-life mix, you know, such as working from home. Exactly. So just can we go back to the male side of things then? This is a STEM equity network, okay? So I'm really wanting to find some kind of equality. But I know that there's a number of men who I've spoken to who feel this enormous pressure when they have babies. And it's almost as if work is doubly hard when they have newborn babies, particularly for the men who actually are active in helping their wives, partners with the newborn baby, you know, they don't get much sleep either, right? No. But they're still expected to work harder at work. 
And there's this, again, subconscious bias that suggests that because they now have a family to take care of, they have to work harder. And so, you know, they're almost expected to double their workload whilst they have a new baby at home and not getting any sleep. I mean, how is Trio addressing this? Obviously, that's a training thing for both men and their managers in order to be able to give flexibility, not only to the female side of things, but also to the men who are dealing with newborn babies as well. I mean, the first thing for the organisations that work with us is just by having TRIO implemented within the organisation that is available to all parents really starts helping that organisation from a cultural perspective, say, we support parents. But really where they need to make the, the difference is at policy level. You know, parental leave policy needs to be equitable irrespective of gender. Mm -hmm. Any parent or all parents should be able to take time off, you know, whether they're the new mum or the new dad at the same level. And once we get to there, that equitable space, then we will start challenging those gender norms and those stereotypes that exist. Because until that really happens, yes, men can take a couple of weeks off, but it's not really challenging the status quo. No. And it's not really enough for men to take on that caring responsibility that then allows their partner to return to work sooner or even after a year because the partner's not then able to take the following year off. So I think the sooner we have a far more flexible and equitable parental leave plan, the more we'll really start challenging those gender stereotypes. And obviously when we overlay onto this, the cost of childcare and the fact that men typically earn more than women, we are constantly being forced, whether we like it or not, into those stereotypical roles, which is men are going to go to work, women are going to stay at home and care. And then what I heard for so many years when I was coaching women is that they would tell me they can't afford to return to work because they can't afford the childcare or it doesn't make it worth their while and my challenge to that is it's not a woman's role to pay for childcare childcare is a family expense just as a rental mortgage would be and therefore the cost of childcare has to be wrapped up as an outgoing versus the total income into that family unit mm. but i do understand that when women aren't earning the same and childcare being so costly that women are often forced to be the one to take extended time off or basically to drop their career for a period of time. Mm. Yeah. I mean, can we talk about then single parents as well? Is there some place in this for single parents? Obviously they have it tough because there's only one income and you, you know, you as a single parent as well, you've managed to do it all really <laughs> be a single mom and <laughs> run a career yeah. and then run a business at the same time. So Look, I think, you know, when you're a solo parent, you have to earn an income. There's no one here telling me, well, you're not earning enough or you might as well stay at home. My bigger picture is when I'm earning money, I'm also increasing my value in the market. My career remains relevant and current and on the up. I'm investing in my super. So it's not just the take-home salary that women should be looking at. It's everything else within that. Mm. You know, and if we look at, if nothing else, another area that COVID has shown us is we can all lose our job at any point in time. Yes. And if you've got two parents, even if you look in a two-parent family, you've got both parents working, then at some point, if one of those loses a job, you've still got a second income. 
Um, as a single parent, you don't have that security. You don't have that fallback, no. Look, I, you know, yes, obviously it is super challenging and it's something that I do feel really passionate about when women sort of say, I can't afford to, because if we then look at the bigger picture, 50% of marriages break down. You know, if women aren't earning their own money, they don't have the financial security to be able to up and leave for whatever reason that might happen. So if women want to work, I'm really passionate about them having the opportunity to work. Mm. And I think it's really important that we start to shift the balance at work and at home where men and women have equitable roles. The mental load isn't always on women. We know that that still exists. Mm. The companies are really starting to put policies in place where they are the change in the workplace mm-hmm. and that will then filter out into the family, into the community. We know that women drive spending within families and women are far more likely to spend within their communities than men. So, you know, the more um, money we can put into the hands of women, the more we will continue to build out our communities. We know that there is huge benefits for families to have dads at home and dads more present and visible and involved in the caring where they can be. So the benefits are so enormous, not just economically, innovation, productivity wise in organisations from having a more diverse and inclusive culture, but also at home and in the community. So it's the benefits are phenomenal. In that case, then it kind of leads me on to the next question about the gender pay gap. A lot more women nowadays are earning more money. In many cases, the woman is the one that earns more money than the men. And yet we still seem to be quite behind in terms of this gender pay gap. You know, what do you think needs to happen in order for us to address this issue? Uh, yeah, this is a great question and it's really big. When I'm recruiting, we don't know, you know, we get given a salary banding and then within that salary banding, somebody will get given an offer. Often clients will ask what's the current salary and then they'll go up from that. The challenge of asking somebody their current salary is assuming that they are being fairly paid and equitably paid already. Mm. Because obviously most people want to move, like I said, for salary increases. The other thing is that it really takes an organisation, I know that there are organisations that do this, that do salary reviews across the board and make sure that there are no gaps between genders and that they actively increase the salaries of females within the organisation where they do see that they're not being equitably paid. Mm. So it really, a lot of this stuff starts at an organisational level. The biggest The challenge I see for women, particularly when they're coming back into work after parental leave, is that we often need flexible work or part-time work. And those roles are not frequently available. If we can't come back into our same organisation into a flexible role, or we've chosen to take some time out and then we're going in back into a new role. What many, many women will do is I would openly say, I'll take a salary drop just to get a role that gives me flexible working. So we're almost, we are actively walking ourselves backwards financially in lieu of some flexible work or a part-time role. And again, it comes back to an organisation saying, well, you know, we don't want females to do that. We need to make roles more flexible and we need to accommodate people's lives within our workplace now so that women don't have to trade salary, financial security and super 
which is somebody's long-term security to get a job because then all that happens is when they then look for their next one they've already got a backward salary and a lower salary than what they're worth and then we're just slowly trying to climb back up that ladder yeah so it's a vicious uh, circle it is a vicious circle and it's also you know when companies are looking at profit margin only it's very difficult to make that point that Mm. it's worth spending that money on these women On the other hand, though, it's really what's necessary in order to bring back the gender parity, but also in terms of pay equity as well. So I guess it it requires some real strong, decisive leadership on behalf of the management teams for these companies to be able to do this. Speaking of which, your background has all been in, you know, recruitment and personnel development. Can I just see how you got into tech? Because obviously we have to bring it back around to the fact that this is a network of STEM professionals, right? So how did you get into technology? So when I was coaching, I wanted to find a way of working with organisations to understand the value of retention. And I wanted to do it with a technology platform or a technology play And I obviously clearly have no no way of doing that. But two years ago, I came across Blue Chili, which is a technology accelerator, and they had applications open, napkin stage ideas from non-tech founders. So I applied to a program called Accelerate and got through to a bootcamp, got through to the accelerator and spent six months with Blue Chili working on this idea and building out at validating and validating and building out an MVP that went live last June. And on the accelerator, you get a tech team. So you get allocated people, product managers, engineers to work with you on your product. And then you get given a platform. And then I found another tech partner to bring on board after I finished the Blue Chili program. I'm a solo founder, but for sure, if it wasn't for Blue Chili, I wouldn't be here. I'm very, very grateful because I wouldn't know what to do. But on the flip side, I also don't have any barriers around what's possible. Mm. So because I'm non-tech, I feel it's actually a bit of a strength because I then work with my tech team and say, can we do this? And because I don't know what's possible, it forces them in many ways to think outside the box and push the boundaries and come up with other ideas of actually how we can make these things work. So I come from it from a product perspective, uh, this is what I want to do, or this is what we need to find a solution to. Mm. How can you do that? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what's the next steps then for Trio? Really getting our platform out in the hands of a lot more organisations who really want to strengthen their EVP around employee engagement during leave who really want to retain particularly women within the workforce and build our own in-house tech team and find a tech lead or somebody to come on board to work with me to build this out Mm. Mm -hmm. in-house. It's very exciting times. It is. It is exciting times. And look, I think what you're doing is really necessary. It's certainly something that is actively engaging businesses in the community in trying to stop the loss of mid-career females from the industry and um, you know really appreciate you doing it so i'm going to wrap it up right there thank you so much for your time rebecca i really appreciate your candidness and discussing your story with us and come back next week for another episode of stem equity network thank you bye-bye thank you bye